Welcome to the NFT Now podcast. Every Wednesday, we speak with trailblazing artists, collectors, and technologists about how NFTs are redefining the creative economy and how you can be a part. I'm Sam Heisel. And I'm Matt Medved, and we're on a mission to empower the creators of culture. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? How we doing? Fantastic, man. Out here in Miami, beautiful vibes. IRL. That's it. That's it. All right. Well, we got a very special guest kicking off the podcast today. Roger Dickerman, founder of the Artifacts Project, curated digital art project showcasing some of the uh, top digital artists in the space. Uh, They've had IRL installations, Times Square billboards, all that. Also the host of Origin Stories podcast with Parrot, just a top uh, collector, avid technologist and builder in the space. What are you guys excited about? Katal, Matt. Thank you for having me here. It's good to be in Miami. Uh, one of the things I love is that we're taking the URL to IRL, as you mentioned. I'm really stoked for this. I think this conversation with Roger Dickerman is going to be really collective because he's somebody who just puts into so much into the space and uh, elevates others. So I'm very interested in the conversation of how that evolves in the next couple of years uh, with his participation in the space. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think he's done a fantastic job in really building up the community. Really love too. We had a, a kind of little um, conversation around how status and identity are really venturing into the metaverse and how NFTs are really becoming this this opportunity to have ownership, status, and identity. And I think that's going to be a big driving force of adoption. We even talked just around milestones of adoption as the, the NFT market matures. So really excited to have Roger on. Without any further ado, let's get into it. Roger, it's, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Uh, as I've mentioned before, you're origin stories podcast you know one of my entry points you know into learning more about the nft space tell us a bit about your origin story how did you get into nfts matt it's a pleasure uh reconnecting after new york city now here in miami i feel like it's a world tour we'll just keep going all over the place but uh okay my origin story the nft space at large connected every dot in my life full stop so we go back to childhood. Childhood was art, art appreciation, constantly being creative. Go to young professional that goes into finance, that goes into working for a global market making fund and just expressing that side of the brain, business development. And then we get into my fitness and wellness business alongside my wife. And that was a decade of community building. It was thousands of clients, all ages, a lot of empathy, a lot of relationships, a lot of sitting down one-on-one or one-on-multiple and, and many and making a real connection. And then towards the end of that business, started reach a little bit of burnout, ready for something new, ready for a new challenge, ready to maybe connect a few dots. Started expressing some of that investment brain in crypto. Found NFTs, and NFTs surprised me because I entered NFTs with an investment mindset. And very quickly, I started thinking things like, this is an artwork I'd like to have forever. And that wasn't initially expected. Then I started meeting some artists. And then the fitness and wellness piece of me wanted to start telling stories. I wanted to know things. I wanted to know context. I wanted to appreciate that context. Started developing those friendships. Now, all of a sudden, my brain's fully transitioning and saying, this is a revolutionary technology. There are incredible artists here, many of whom have not been recognized before to this level. Let's go. Let's let's build. Let's transition. I love it. No, and it's been amazing to see. And I, I love it that you kind of highlighted building the relationships as that really is the kind of foundation of this community as it really continues to snowball. And in that vein, I know that the Artifacts Project has become um, a really beautiful project. I'd love for you to kind of break down the inspiration and then also kind of obviously we're at the, the current iteration and it's come a long way. But what's kind of the, the current state and what's the vision you really have for the future of the project as well? The vision is, is digital art. 
It was how, how can a story be told here to honor many artists and many aspects of digital art? And so a lot of attention has gone into wave one, understandably, it's wave one, right? And so everyone looks at that and says, like, that's the project. Wave one is, is one representation of the many things that will ultimately occur. So the goal is to tackle digital art from all aspects. You know, let's look at it from the perspective of the 3D artist. Look, let's look at it from the perspective of the future, the younger artists. Let's look at it from the perspective of the pioneers. Let's possibly even get back further than the pioneers. Let's go into entertainment arts and precision arts and sports and music and a lot of just the, the diversity of personality that has been brave enough to, to trailblaze in the NFT space. But we want to make that clear because I think it's being lost a little bit. And one of the things internally that we're looking at is, you know how I feel about stories, origin stories, right? telling that story clearer, right? Telling that story clearer. Because again, so much gets tied up in the hype machine of a wave. You know, what is this wave? Who are these people? Everyone's focusing on that. Uh, there will be places and times now like this to, to be able to pull back and be able to tell that broader story and, and where this will go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then when you think about some of the, I know you've been kind of bringing it into the IRL. Can you talk about some of the other specific plans you have over the course of the next year as to how you really want to tell and empower those stories and artists? Yeah. So we're thinking about like this. Imagine these artworks in this project have an opportunity to be the most well-traveled artworks ever. Mm. And think about that, right? Yeah. So think about there's the IRL tour. That's fun. It's, it's blurring the lines. Right. It's, it's taking digital into physical, but with a lot of artists crediting, right? Mm -hmm. Which is different because digital has always been in the physical world, but without that element. It's always been behind a brand, right? Or, or, or behind a structure. Well, obviously we are a brand too, mm -hmm. but when you see the art in the real world, there's very clear, art is bold. Artist takes more precedence than the brand. And that's exciting to me to be able to flip that. But most traveled artworks ever. So think about it. We have the physical tour. What about the metaverses, mm -hmm. right? So as these metaverses are created to be able to take the sculpture representations of these artworks on tour mm -hmm. within the metaverses to enable them within the metaverses and oh by the way ar filters so it's like another hybridization of digital physical and so when we put all these things together and oh by the way the possibilities we don't even know yet you know when hologram technology hits right sculptures will be in a great position to go there mm -hmm. where they could like where they could go that that's what wakes me up every day in the morning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, man. And I, and I love where you're seeing it, but walk us through the Times Square installation. I think that was a very pivotal, like landmark moment, just in NFT culture history as it is. Um, there were some mentions that there were some hiccups or something almost didn't happen. Walk us through that. Man. Okay. So, you know, Times Square, it was this, this idea that we wanted to do something big in the physical world, that we wanted to shake up that relationship between digital art, NFTs and physical what better place, what better time to do that in Times Square? And so off we go. Okay, so I uh, want to give a shout out here to Animus, Made by Animus, Artist Collective, Furthering the Space. They're work we're working with them. They're working with us. It's a beautiful partnership uh, in terms of uh, spearheading a lot of these production events. All right, so working to set this thing up, get there on site in New York, el elation, exuberance, and then we get the message that one of the billboards, we had three billboards in okay. Times Square, one of the billboards kicked back a few of the artists. One, one what do you was, mean by kickback? Uh, so essentially said, there are concerns about us showing this art on our billboard. And we would like you to change the footage. So when we got the first message from the first billboard, I personally said, forget it. You either move forward with it, with all the artists, or we lose that billboard. And we still have two, and we have the Brooklyn Bridge, and we have Union Square, and we have the trucks that are going to be roaming around New York. We're going to be just fine. Then we get the next message. And the next message was the other two billboards. So now all three billboards 
have, have flagged four artists. And how are you feeling at this moment? Horrible. I mean, so, so I'm on site under the gun, under the gun. And it, you know, it, it, here's, here's a funny note. And uh, I don't think he'll mind me saying this, but I was, I was messaging uh, with, with Bill, Bill Ellis mm-hmm. the night before and also Fred Fuckrender. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about what was going on. And I had essentially said, LOL, got this message, but forget it. You know, like, we're good. We're like, we're good. We're going, we're going forward. And, uh, and then, no sweat. And then they intermediate and, us. No sweat. No sweat. Um, and then, the, and then here we are the next day. Yeah. And, and now, and now it's like, we're going to lose Times Square. Mm. So now a bunch of things happen. Now I'm, now I have to put on the brain of like, okay, how are we going to handle this? How are we going to plow forward? And ultimately it was like, we, we can't lose Times Square. And so what do we have to do? And so we made the, the philosophical shift to say, all right, all the art's going to be on the bridge, in Union Square, on the truck. How can we still represent the artists, but make the change that we need to make rather than like have everyone expecting to show up for Times Square? And it's like, oh, we couldn't do Times Square. We could only do this other stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So what we did was we threw up just all the you know social handles, social tags. We, we, we flipped Fred's name to his real name versus his artist tag, and, and we plowed forward. But here's the funny part. Not funny then, funny now. We almost lost it all anyway because we still had to edit the, we still had to edit the footage. And the other two billboards in this conversation is basically happening real time. So can we turn it around? Then it has to get in the approval pipeline and then they still have to approve it. So there's just like this ambient stress all day long as we get those edits in, push it through, are waiting, are waiting, are waiting. And then it's like, yes, we're, we're a go. I love it. Well, you know, I was on the ground there straight, straight off the plane. Um, it was great to meet you there. It was great to meet Parrot there, Gavin Shapiro, so many, so many people in the space. And one thing I wanted to like highlight is I, I think for many of us, that was one of, if not the first like, uh, like IRL gathering of like that group in New York um, at a time when like so many of us had connected online during a p- global pandemic. Um, and there was it was such a, an exciting like current of like of energy. I mean, I, I think that was that was the night you, you and Parrot met for the first time, even you, though you had been hosting a podcast together for months. Right. That was underrated. Yeah, it was so underrated. And, and coming away from it, you think about Times Square and, and the visuals. Amazing. I'll never forget it. But even more so will stand the test of time is that mm-hmm. it's, it's that that connection where Parrot and I have connected for months and months now doing origin stories together and, and developing this relationship. And we, we commented afterwards, we felt like we didn't miss a beat. We felt like we were old friends who met years ago and, mm-hmm. you know, were palling around and, oh, here we are again, just, just hanging out. That was incredible because that drove home to me the value the real value of, of these digital relationships, Mm -hmm. right? That some, some of these people, these friends of mine, I've talked to every day Mm -hmm. or or close to every day for like many, many months. It expedites things. It's this weird time crunch where you pull it apart and it feels like years of a friendship Mm -hmm. and thinking about my best friends, my best IRL friends. Now, of course we all are, but it's like going back my best IRL friends. Maybe I talk to them once a week, once every few weeks, meet once every month or two now all of a sudden we have this weirdly compressed yeah. in covid yeah, yeah. you know like talking every day it feels like years years and years of friendship it's pretty yeah. crazy and you know speaking of overcoming challenges um you know from Times square um to, to you know announcing and, and opening up the auctions um if i recall like you know the, the when we opened up the auctions it, it was similarly timed with that with the market correction i, I want to know just how how did that how did you handle that how did you overcome that 
Um, what was going through your head that week as well? And how did you pivot and adjust? Yeah, it's, I think it was the day after the crypto crash. You know, what better time? Right? What better time? <laughs> but, you know, you know I want to make this clear. It's like, would we have taken the full out hype sellout? Of course. Like, I'm not going to be the guy who sits on camera and is like, we didn't want that anyway. You know, we're, we're, this is what we expected. This is what, we, no, of course, you take that all every day of the week. But one thing that we've said, even with wanting that, of course, the substance is greater than the hype. And so it felt not like what we wanted, but we slipped into a very natural skin because internally in team, we had been saying substance is greater than hype. Yeah. Walk the substance forward. Like you go back years ago, right? You go back years ago into crypto art history. It's like crypto punks didn't sell out at first either, right? And so here we are. And so here we are night one day after the crypto crash. And we're saying to ourselves, let's see how it goes. Like, let's see how it goes. We had a few site delays at the beginning. That was an interesting challenge to overcome. Um, now it's just iterative improvement. So I, that's all. We, we tell ourselves, we, we look at the project. We look at the artists involved. We look at the way we've rolled it forward to this point. We look at the roadmap. We look at the artists yet to come. We look at the story yet to be told. And most important, importantly, we look at the long term of digital art, the NFT space, the interaction with utility and access. We look at all those things. I think that's very clear on the horizon line. Now, how we get there, the twists and turns, right, that the broader market takes mm -hmm. and or, you know, some twists and turns that the project may take as well. Like that's yet to be charted, but we know where it's all going and we, and we want to meet it there. And we believe we will. Yeah, me too. Well, I want to kind of abstract a little bit. I mean, NFTs as a whole are very interesting because when you think even outside pre-NFTs, I think people think about status identity and oftentimes ascribe art to that status and identity. Whether they, they may buy a piece of art because they really like the artist, but there's also this kind of like, oh, look at this art piece I have. And then same goes for the clothes we wear. And I mean, a lot of things that we do in life oftentimes boil down directly to status and identity. I think one thing that excites us as a team and I think a lot of the NFT community as a whole is that like NFTs are really going to enable this level of like status and identity in an online fashion. You were speaking to how relationships are, are you can build relationships in a truly like digital context these days. So when you think about the, the evolution of NFTs and the market and the community and the applications, how do you see building status and identity really venturing into the metaverse? You're spot on, right? It's, it's, there's so much complexity here and there's so much richness. And one of the things I like to say is, you know, art has value on its own, mm -hmm. right? But then you add that layer of status and identity and context and story, mm -hmm. and then it becomes something totally different. Mm -hmm. And so now we walk into the metaverses, you're going to see, well, you, you're going to see some of the same things evolve and you're going to see some different and unique things evolve. So some of the same things that will evolve is like your wearables will matter. And how you display your, to take a page of the artifacts book, it's like how you display your sculpture will matter, right? How you display your art in home, in home, in mm -hmm. gallery will matter. Mm -hmm. And that'll all play into what we know about status and identity. But then it's a bit of the, the where does this all go? And, and actually one more thing on that. Then there's the, there's also the stuff that we know about access IRL that will retain and access digital, right? Mm -hmm. Access to a person's voice, access to a person's uh, time, access to a person's advice. Mm -hmm. That will continue to matter. Just whether it's expressed in a, in a metaverse forum versus a physical conference room, who, who cares? I mean, right. it's the same stuff, mm -hmm. right? But then where else does it go, mm -hmm. right? That's, I mean, we could probably like pontificate on that for a while, yeah, right? Yeah. In, in, in terms of what's not possible in real life. What is possible in the metaverses? I don't even mm -hmm. think we know the half of that yet. Right. Yeah. 
it's be exciting to see the, the applications and how it manifests already seeing it yeah. so that's cool man yeah man I, I i love that perspective roger that you were bringing up there's something that really resonated with me it's about like building substance versus hype uh, i know you're an incredible collector in this space as well i know you uh you dabble in the collecting aspect in terms of determining what to purchase like what are some of the pieces of advice that you can give upcoming collectors right what is substance right now like from a collector's perspective how do you differentiate from the hype substance and what are some key factors that you look for before making an investment or a purchase into an nft i think if someone goes through their education process and you hear this and it's become cliche and it's become a bit cheesy but it absolutely matters when you get to a certain point in your education just appreciation process Buy what you like, right? I know it's talked about everywhere, but it really should be where you start. And it could be buy which, I mean, if you're talking about it purely from an investment standpoint, it could be buy what you like, and it could be buy what you like or see liked. Like if you have an intuitive understanding of that, that's another way to treat it, right? Start there. And then when you move past that, then you start to get into, well, all right, we're still in a nascent market. There's still price discovery. So anyone who's like too formulaic, I think gets hurt. Because I think that that breaks down past a certain point. You combine some of the, the platform metrics with some of where we may believe the space is going. Um, and then you can start to get into the artists themselves. You know, Either who's been around or who's best positioned to be around. And that may be because of a philosophical belief that you share. That may be because of just their general strategy, approach, personality that complements their art. Start to look at those things. And I know... That, this, it's all necessarily vague because I think it's all changing day by day because, you know, uh, we look at the projects like Bored Apes, like Mebits, right? The whole different strategy applies there versus what will last in the pure fine art NFT market. Um, feel free to follow up with something specific. I know I, I handled all yeah, the yeah, macro yeah, concepts yeah, that's there. A, that's a very macro perspective, but um, let's talk about the differentiation process for you in terms of substance and hype because i think that that was something that I would, you mentioned that when you spoke of it it felt like it was like a core belief in yourself like let's talk about what's making substance in the market what are you seeing that's a little bit hypey and how do you differentiate from substance and hype good question okay so you get into things there about how 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 is something being portrayed and now something substantive can have plenty of hype to it because substance lends itself to hype. There's a lot to hype up if there's substance. But how is something being portrayed? And then you dig into what are the quantities associated with this? I think scarcity is a little overplayed. Scarcity is all relative, right? We should have NFTs that have thousands of editions. But then there's price associated with those NFTs of thousands of editions. We should have NFTs that are one of ones. And then there's a price that's associated. So scarcity is all relative. I want to make that clear. But you start to look at the quantities of something um, being sold and purchased. You start to look at, um, are there any proxies? Like in other words, if someone had just done something with X and now is doing something with Y, and then you can see down the road, they're doing something with Z. And then it's like, wait a second, this is all, this is all now a mess. So I look for, I look for a, a strategy. I look for a link between price and quantity. Cause I think at the peak of what some people call the bubble, we can go into that. Maybe, like, I think there is a definition of a bubble. I don't think NFTs, I think NFTs as a whole, again, remain very relevant, will be very relevant. Um, but whatever we want to call it, there, there certainly were plenty of NFT uh, areas that crashed down. Why did that happen? You saw price and quantity being pushed so hard together and everyone blindly just kept going because it was like up only. It's not up only. It's never up only. 
And so if price and quantity keep being pushed and keep being pushed and keep being pushed, first you see secondary markets crack, right? When that means that people are still bold up, people are still snagging them on the primary, people are still getting in there, but then what? And you start to see the cracks form there. The next place the cracks come is the primary. That's what you see next. Then you start to see those prices come down. It's a natural resettling. So it's just looking at looking at the health of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And I think we can get like utopian about it. And we could say the secondary market shouldn't matter. But there are a lot of different types of people that are in this thing. There are people here for solely artistic appreciation. There are people here solely for very cold investment decisions and trading. And then there are people in between. I think it's necessary to see all of this together, see how it interacts, and then go forth. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll say there is because you see some projects, it's like if a project doesn't reach a tipping point of sellout, you lose a gap. And that gap is the flippers and the traders. Flippers and the traders are only going to be in something if they feel that they can make a buck. And so it's like, again, if you don't reach that tipping point that the flipper and trader community says, yeah, we see an opportunity there, they all go away. And then now you're left with a, a different kind of substance, right? Just the appreciation, the vision, that, that long term. Um, yeah, I'll pause there. That's a perfect segue into the question I have for you, because I feel like one thing I really appreciate about about you, Roger, is you've always had a very long-term perspective on everything, not only the Artifacts project, but also the space, the market, the scene. Um, I know you tweeted something uh, earlier in the week about, um, you know, in in the years 2025 and and which uh, which projects, you know, have held their value, have continued to grow. I wanted to get your, I want to get your thoughts on that, because, um, you know, given that perspective, like what are some of the artists and projects that you feel are going to a hold their value or b continue to grow significantly uh, going into the future? It's a great question. Um, I think the answer is either bleak or hopeful, depending on how you look <laughs> at it. Right? I think that you know you you look back and um, we can take some lessons from the OG OG pro- projects, right? So CryptoPunks won the OG battle. Um, they seem to have won the OG battle. It's like ninety eight percent that they win the OG battle. Mm-hmm. There's the slim chances other projects can pop back up, but really it looks like they have it. Um, that's great. You know, that that's great. But, but what else is there right from that time? Now it's a different time. It's an, it, it's still a nascent market, but it's still evolved a lot from then. Right. So there probably will be more winners now walking forward than, uh, than there, but let's take some lessons. Like let's look at the projects of today and, and say, yeah, they're, they're not all going to make it. They're not all going to be relevant. So what will be? And I think, you know, you have your contenders, you have your, your Larva Labs, you know, 2.0, which is Mebits. You have your Bored Apes. You have, and now like we have, we have uh, a couple different interpretations of trees and, and, and mm-hmm. some project, right, projects there. Okay, like that starts to form our, I don't know, call it like a, a, a project bucket of like that hybridization of collectibles and, and rarity traits and, and all these things. Yeah, what will make it? Mm-hmm. So you, you have the big brand which, uh, you know, classify as Larva Labs. Mm-hmm. You have the upstart community, which would be Bored Apes. We'll have something to talk about two weeks from now and three weeks from now and five weeks from now. And we can look, we start to look at them all and, and say what has those lasting traits. Um, again, vague answers, but it's hard to be, it's hard to be too specific because so much is changing real time. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that. And I know just to follow up on that, Curation lies like at the core of what you do. It's it's really like the like the kind of like the heartbeat behind artifacts. And so looking at specifically crypto art or digital art, you know, kind of taking aside from like the collectible space, um, what are some what are some things that stand out to you there? What are, what what trends or or you know what what do you see holding value long term there? Fine art's always going to have its place. Now, what becomes digital fine art? Mm-hmm. 
That's a, that's a big question. And I think it's helpful to start breaking it down and, and categorizing. And it's like, I don't want to get too cold here because there's a lot of emotion there. Mm-hmm. But we can start to loosely categorize and we can say, you know, there is the there is OG crypto art, just like there was OG crypto punks, right? The crypto art's different. Crypto art, again, it has more of that heart and more of that story. And you see people like Xcopy and you see people like Hackatow mm-hmm. and you see people like, I, like a huge belief in a lot of money. That's going to matter. It's just going to matter. It's the same thing. It's like it's they are the 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 trailblazers within this NFT space that brought forth a cohesive style and a storytelling um, and have walked that forward to present day with consistency along the way. That's always going to matter. We can draw that line through and they'll become the, you know, the forefathers of of NFTs. And then on down the line, then you see um, 3D style Mm -hmm. and then uh, we see digital sculpting. And we, see, and we see people starting to separate themselves in the same manner. And past a certain point, it comes down to there are a lot of talented individuals here. There are a lot of incredible artists, a lot of incredible human beings. It's the same as the X copies and the Hackatows and the A Lot of Monies. Who stays here, who evolves their story, who evolves their art, and who, who embodies that consistency three, four, five years from now. Let's say we get into another crypto bull cycle. Let's say now, between now and then, there will be a paring down. And it won't just be a paring down based on our quality. It'll be a paring down based on who wants to be a part of this, who wants to continue trailblazing in NFTs. Not everyone will. And so to an extent, it becomes a little bit of a projection. Is this person here to stay? They're going to do brilliant art anywhere, but are they here to stay in NFTs? That's going to matter. Yeah, absolutely love that. And I think you've been speaking to a lot of principles that will really drive continued market evolution and adoption. You spoke to the fact that and the reality that it's still very much a nascent market going through price discovery. When you look at kind of the upcoming and next significant milestones in market adoption, market evolution, what, what are some of the things that come to mind for you? Who, who is the next collector wave? Mm-hmm. Right. Who, who is it? But what do you mean by collector wave? Like, let's give our listeners who aren't in the space like uh, uh, like a definition of what a collector wave is. Is there an opportunity for, okay, so we have like these, these enthusiasts. We have these core enthusiasts mm-hmm. now. And again, we get back to the nascent market and it's still developing. It's the wild, wild west. And a lot of people are uh, very brave, right, to, to come in here and, and have that vision and or that fascination. But what happens next? Is there a formalization? Does the traditional art community, is, is, does there start to be a bit of a small percentage of the traditional art community that is convinced to then look at NFTs a little bit harder. Do they start to draw their, what looks like fine art? That's interesting, because he's like a Raf Grissetti, right? To me, someone like that, it's such a a high level of digital stone, digital sculpture skill. It just jumps off, jumps off visually. That's my perspective. But you could see if the fine art community starts to come over, 5% of it, 10% of it, wants to take a percentage of their art expression and bring that into NFTs and into digital art. What do they see the value in? What do they appreciate? That's a whole different thesis. You have to get into their minds. And if that ends up being the next collector wave, that matters because that's going to determine a lot of what we're here discussing, like who's going to last, what's going to be highly regarded. Well, if that happens, you better believe it's going to be a lot of what they say will matter and and, and will look good. Mm -hmm. And then to the other side, then it, what if it's the next wave of crypto adoption? Mm-hmm. I don't think this bull runs over. 
I think we're in a little bit of a pull, you know, it's like a bear within a bull, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's over. Let's say we resurge here in, in one month's time, two months time, three months time. Let's say then another five to 10% of crypto whales mm -hmm. start to come into NFTs. Uh, you better believe they have a whole different perspective than the fine art community. Mm -hmm. So what's going to matter to them? Maybe maybe they're interested in, maybe that's the resurgence of the the crypto punks again. Maybe they just keep going. Maybe MeBits come back. Maybe like maybe they start to look more over there. Maybe look at their artifacts project. Hey, that'd be cool, you know? These kinds of things. What do they care about? That's going to matter. So it becomes a projection of, okay, where are, where are our next collectors coming from? What do they care about? And that will really matter. Yeah, man, that's really fantastic. I, I love I love everything you're mentioning. I, just to, I love the passion that you bring into the space, man. I love that, the curation and how you want to make others stand up as well. Like, you know, you're definitely with the Times Square project, the New York project. That was really evolutionary. In this capacity, what do you see as some of your favorite artists and projects that are coming up uh, that you kind of just want to shout out, give a shout out on, on, on our final question. I'm going to give a shout out to someone that that, that matters to me and, and I think is really important. Um, talk about who's going to last. Short term, anything can happen. Mm -hmm. But like, the story and the substance wins out in the end. So you know, someone, for example, who is a trailblazer in his own right, who has influenced a lot of other artists. And in some cases, you may see some of the artists he influenced doing really, really well. Right. But Bill Ellis. Mm -hmm. I want to give Bill mm -hmm. Ellis a shout out. Because this is someone who has been around, has had a storied digital art career prior to NFTs, is here in NFTs. I believe he's here for the right reasons. I, I think he's just one of the most fantastic human beings in the entire space. Wears his heart on his sleeve, interacts with the community, builds the community, collects, like everything. He's got it all going in spades. Cares, truly cares. How that story plays out, and, and I've said this to him before, but it's like it's impossible not to recognize. Like He's giving away free packs of his designs, mm -hmm. you know? I could really see that type of a thing. So that's someone I want to give a shout out. It's not a project per se, it's a person, but um, you see that in different places. Like if you really just pull back and, and look at an artist, sometimes you're saying, wow, like just, just wow. Like their, their history, their now, like it's impossible that that doesn't get recognized at a higher level in the future. Mm -hmm. So just a, a, a random thought and a shout there. Absolutely love it. Well, Roger, man, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for everything you're doing for the community. Everybody that's listening definitely needs to look into artifacts. Um, keep up the great work, man. Great to have you on. Thank you. And, and likewise, what you guys are doing, it's amazing. It's so fun to be here in real life doing this no, over no. microphones. Like, what is no. this? What is life? What, what a novelty. <laughs> what, what is life? And here we are. Uh, the podcast meet space right here. Right? That's, that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm here for it. It's inspirational. So right back at you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, man. Likewise, man. Guys, that was great. Loved having him on. I loved his thoughts on the future of digital art. Uh, what stood out to you? Roger is a G man. I think I love how he's really building artifacts into an organization that's truly uplifting um, and really propelling this mainstream adoption. I mean, he's taking some of the, the best artists in the, the community um, and bringing them into environments outside of clubhouse rooms and Twitter and Decentraland metaverse galleries. So I think it's uh, it's fascinating and it's people like him that are really going to work to continue to uplift artistry, um, but then also foster this mainstream adoption. So, so major kudos to our man. Yeah, Roger. Yeah, that's a really great point, Sam. I love that community upbringing. And for me, something that really stood out was 
his entry point to NFT was very untraditional as well, very unorthodox, very unique to him, to his story and how he took that and evolved it into creating substance. I think the way that he described substance versus hype as a collector, as a creator, like that was just really wonderful to see and how uh, his guidance is helping to elevate others. So I'm really stoked to see that level of integrity within the community and authenticity being developed to really foster a really nurturing community for our uh, up-and-coming artists. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, I think that he really spoke to the excitement that's in the space right now, uh, people meeting each other for the first time in real life. Um, you know, for those of you who haven't checked it out already, head to nftnow.co, check out our, our newsletter, and uh, we'll see you next time. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Peace. Peace.